you know what the term, the fear of the Lord, means? I want to talk about that in this podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Life Over Coffee, and I am Rick Thomas. I'm glad to be here to serve you. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. You can do that easily if you like listening on iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud or TuneIn or Stitcher Radio. You can do that, plus Podbean. And so you pick your platform and subscribe to us. And if you enjoy this podcast, let me appeal to you to do one more thing that you would write a review. Writing reviews for our podcast or our books uh, is helpful. It, it helps to spread our resources to more people. And so if you enjoy and benefit from what we do, if you share with others what we do, then share this way. Write a review for our podcast. And I mean, that's if you like the podcast. <laughs> if you don't like it, don't write a review. But if you're listening, you probably like it. So write a review and I'd appreciate it. I want to talk about this idea of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. I have show notes. This is episode 167. In fact, I have a lot of show notes for you. I have a video that uh, talks about this idea of the fear of God. I have a graphic as well. I'll talk about that in just a moment. I have some written words here for you, and then I also have several articles. And so if you're working with somebody who struggles with the idea of the fear of God practically, not just understanding it, but how to practically apply this concept, this biblical truth into their lives, then I want you to share episode 167 titled, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Because this is a big idea. It is critical for the Christian because living in fear is one of our most significant problems. Now, you can define fear or use other synonyms for fear like worry and anxiousness. These are big deals. You could also use the idea of insecurity. We're born this way. Worry, anxiousness, fear, insecurity. It is part of our Adamic package. And so everybody comes into the world this way. We're all born post-Genesis 3-6. And when Adam took a fall in the garden... Well, we all came from Adam, and so we're born in sin, which means a lot of things. But one of the things that it does mean is that we don't have an accurate view of the fear of God. And, and practically, more specifically, we don't have a practical understanding of the fear of God. Therefore, we struggle with worry, anxiousness, fear, and insecurity. Everybody is like this. There are no exceptions, and thus it's imperative that we understand what uh, the fear of God means. Now, what I want to do in this podcast is I want to walk through a graphic that is not mine. And the graphic is from Ed Welch, who wrote the book, When People Are Big and God is Small. And he called this graphic, The Fear of God Continuum. I asked Ed a few years ago if I could reproduce this graphic, and he was kind enough to say that I could. So it is used by permission and I want to share this graphic with you. If you want to read his thoughts on this idea of fear of God, it is in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. That book is still available. I read it some 20 years ago. And my review of that book, I've said this in a few other places, but there are some books that, or some topics that are done so well that there's really no need for anybody else to cover that topic. And this idea of the fear of man... 
and juxtaposed to the fear of God, as Ed handles in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, he did such a fantastic job with it. There's really no reason for anybody else to write on that topic. And so I highly recommend this book. It's one of those game-changing books that I've read in my life. I have a short list of those books, and uh, When People Are Big and God is Small is one of those books, and that's why this graphic was so helpful for uh, me. And so I wanted to reproduce the graphic, and it's been on our website for many years now, But I haven't done a Life Over Coffee podcast on this idea of the fear of God. So you can go to episode 167, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? There will be a link here to Ed's book, When People Are Big, and God is Small. That book was written in two parts, basically. The first part is the put-off part. He talks about the fear of man. That's what you want to put off. And then the second half is the fear of God. That's what you want to put on, and so the book is divided nicely, and it will help you. I also have some other articles here, The Danger of Guilt and the Need for a Few Good Friends, The Doctrine of Repentance, which obviously is a big idea because we do need to know how to put off, how to renew our minds, and to put on another person, a person that looks like Jesus. The article, How to Take Every Thought Captive, is huge because our minds need to change, and we, knew, we do need to know how to bring these thought arguments, these fortresses, these strongholds in our minds. We need to know how to bring them into the obedience of Christ. Of course, one of the more popular articles on our website is How to Overcome the Fear of Others, the Fear of Man. That article, it has a podcast, it has a sermon, it has five graphics, it has a short video, And so if you dig into that article, you're going to spend a lot of time just in that. And then we have a detailed study of self-reliance. Being uh, self-reliant or self-sufficient is really the opposite of fearing God. If we, are not, if we don't have a healthy understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, if we don't understand practically how to walk in the fear of God, then, well, we're going to walk under our own strength, our own power, code word, self-reliance or self-sufficiency. And so it's important that you get into this idea of self-sufficiency, and you can do that with this article here, which also has an accompanying podcast, which also has a mind map that will serve you. There are about 20 different resources here, and I put all these together because this topic is just that important. And so if you're dealing, if you're helping someone, discipling someone uh, who is walking through this idea, they're wrapped up in the fear of man, they're an insecure person, they struggle with fear, worry, or anxiousness. Either one of those five ideas, even though they do connect They also can stand alone, and so if you are working with someone who struggles with any of those issues, then I appeal to you to give them episode 167, and you walk with them through this podcast and all of the accompanying resources. It would take them about six months to work through this one podcast and the accompanying resources, and if you walk with them through that, Uh, There could be some wonderful victory, some transformation that can come out on the other end. Let me give you a few key thoughts on this idea of the fear of God. As I mentioned earlier, when Adam took a dive in the garden, well, when he came back up, he was wrapped in fig leaves. 
Uh, he was experiencing shame and guilt and fear, and that is a part of of how we live. Every baby that comes into the world struggles with fear and guilt and shame and insecurity. And what we can do is that we can give in to these voices. Other voices can have a dominating control in our lives. We live under this overhanging cloud of guilt in your life. And what it does is it fosters insecurity in your heart. Now, these unbiblical voices that we listen to or that we subject ourselves to, it's not just the voices of other people who have control over our lives, but it is the voices that are inside our heads as well. Each one of us has an endless loop, a voice in our head, and it's an endless loop, so it just goes around and around and around and around And for some people, that voice inside of our heads can be very negative and critical, and so it perpetuates this idea of fear. And it is imperative that we take our souls to task, especially not just the voices, or not even primarily the voices that are in our world, but the voices that are in our own minds. Sometimes when I talk to people, I just finished a conference in Delaware, and at one of the breaks, a lady came up to me, and she was uh, talking about this idea of controlling voices. And one of the things that I say to people like that is I I, uh, reference uh, Psalm 103, and I, I quote the verse to them, which David was saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless his holy name, all that is within me. And so forth. And I asked them this question. I said, Who is David talking to uh, when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, forget not his benefits, and so forth? And inevitably they will say, Well, he's talking to the Lord. And that is not correct. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. David is talking to himself. David is taking his soul to task. And that's the idea here. I think it was Martin uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones that said in his book, Spiritual Depression, I may have this wrong, but I will attribute it to him anyway, is that sometimes we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start talking to ourselves, and that is a huge difference. And that's what I mean by having this endless loop in our minds that just plays this message that goes around and around and around in an ad infinitum kind of way. And if that message is not biblical, it can drive you into despair and you can live with the overhanging cloud of guilt and it will foster insecurity in your heart and you need to do what David did in Psalm 103. Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. And that's what I hope will happen in this podcast as you have a healthy understanding of what it means to fear God, that you can transition from fear of others or this internalized fear of this voice that you have in your own head that perpetuates insecurity and guilt and shame. What I hope would happen is that you can transition from that kind of fear to another kind of fear that is nothing like that. It is a fear of God, a fear of the Lord. And if you can do that, well, you will be in a much better place. But this overhanging cloud of guilt that I'm talking about, it does. It fosters insecurity 
in the heart. Biblically, it is called the fear of man, but I wanted to expand that because when you say fear of man, most likely you're going to think about uh, fearing other people. And that's why I added this other layer here that's not just fearing other people, but it's your own thoughts that dominate you. Other people's thoughts and opinions can dominate you, but your own thoughts and opinions of yourself in this endless loop tape can do that, and you'll end up with an unbiblical process of producing guilt, and it causes deep-seated and controlling fear of others and and this fear that you have. And what it does is it creates, it's a convolution of heart idolatries that lead to erratic behavior. And what I mean by erratic behavior is because if you're a Christian, all of us, we have two minds. We are two-headed people. Erratic behavior. And sometimes you see erratic behavior with Christians, where sometimes they're operating with a healthy fear of God. Sometimes they're operating in an unbiblical fear And this is what James talked about in James chapter 1, that we are double-minded. And when you see a double-minded person, they have two heads, two minds. Sometimes they are under the power of God and they're submitting to Him uh, under the influence, the controlling influence of the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit. And other, other times, they're not. They become like a pinball that responds according to who's blaming them or or the controlling opinion of another person that they would like approval from, and they're not under the power of God's control. They're not being controlled by God alone, according to a clear understanding of who He is through the lens of Scripture. And what they're doing, they're allowing these unbiblical voices, whether it's their voice inside their own head or the voice of other people. And at the end of the day, it creates insecurity. Let me define insecurity for you. Here's a simple illustration. It's not mine. I don't recall where I got this exactly, but I I heard this again some 20-something years ago, and I wrote it down. It was so good and helpful. Insecurity defined. Insecurity is placing your faith, your hope, your confidence, your trust, your belief Those are all synonyms, faith, hope, confidence, trust, belief in something or in someone that you can lose in something or someone that can be taken away from you. If your faith is in something that can be removed from you, you're going to be insecure. And so if you have an unhealthy relationship with God, then your faith is not securely planted in Him. Therefore, your hope, your confidence, your trust, your belief is convoluted but primarily in something else other than the Lord, and that's going to make you insecure. Think about it this way. When after uh, Adam came up out of the garden in Genesis 3, 6, he was insecure because his faith was convoluted. He was not fully and wholly trusting the Lord at that time. By the way, security is defined the same way. Let me define security for you, and it will help you to understand the definition for insecurity. I said that insecurity is placing your faith, your hope, your confidence, your trust, your belief, those synonyms, in something or someone that you can lose or something that can be taken away. Well, security is just like that with the exception of one word, Security is placing your faith, your hope, your confidence, your trust, your belief 
in something or someone that you cannot lose, that cannot be taken away from you, and that is the slight difference between insecurity and security. And as you can see, that slight difference is a life-altering difference in the two definitions of security and insecurity. And it all rests on what you can or cannot lose. Thus, if you don't have a healthy view of God, your relationship with Him is marred in some way, and that's going to tempt you. It's what I was saying earlier about this idea of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. If we are not fully resting in the all-sufficient one, then we will be tempted to rest within our own strengths, our own abilities. We'll be self-sufficient. And at the end of the day, that will leave us insecure, fearful, inhibited, timid, worrisome, anxious, because we know that, well, we, we can't be sufficient. Now, the question that the definition for security begs is, well, what is something that you cannot lose? If security defined is placing your faith, hope, confidence, trust, belief in something that you cannot lose, then what is the thing that you cannot lose? Well, there are only two things that you cannot lose. As I have scoured the universe, I have only come up with two things. If you know something more than this, please share it with me. But there are two things that you absolutely cannot lose. One is the written Word of God, and the other one is the living Word of God. The written Lagos, the written Word, is eternal. And the living Word, the living Lagos, Jesus Christ, is eternal. Those two things last forever. Those two things you cannot lose you can lose everything else. If your faith is in your reputation, you can lose it. If your faith is in your, if your confidence is in the money that you have or the house that you live or the family that you have or other possessions that you may own, your job, your vocation, your ability, whatever your confidence is in, if it's in anything other than God's eternal word and God himself, then you're standing on an insecure foundation because at any moment, even your own life can be taken away. Therefore, the person who is most secure, the person who has conquered anxiousness and fear and worry and insecurity is the person who has situated themselves in the eternal one, Christ himself based on God's eternal word. And that begs the question, how do we get there? How, how, do, we, how do we get to the place to where we can truly and, and ideally and practically live in a healthy uh, fear of God? And that's what I want to walk through in the remainder of this podcast. And this is where I want to pull up Ed Welch's illustration because it's so good. Now, I would encourage you to go to episode 167 titled, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? And, and you can visually, I want you to visually look at this graphic 
If you have the time, I would love for you to look at my short video here. It's probably eight minutes, something like that. It's not too long. It may be 10 minutes. But it's a short video, and it walks through this idea along with this podcast that I'm sharing with you. But in this continuum, I'm going to try to describe it to you. What Ed has done is he's given us two extremes. On the far left, he tells us that we we live in, he uses these words, terror and dread and trembling. And that is true. Again, think about Adam in Genesis 3.6. Post-fall, after Adam fell in the garden, he began to fear, which is what Ed is capsulizing in this these ideas of terror and dread and trembling. And the reason that he did that, what, what was Adam doing? He was hiding from God. He was hiding behind fig leaves. He was insecure. And the reason that he was doing that is because he knew that, that God is a holy God. He, he's a God of holy justice. He knew that he was in trouble. He knew that he was guilty. Therefore, he was afraid of God. And by the way, that is the right reaction. And by the way, this is something that our culture has drifted so far from shame and guilt. They have made everything and anything right. There is no shame about them any longer because they have, they have ripped that off. They've ripped it away from themselves, and they can sin without blushing uh, they have so masked and so hardened their conscience. They have dulled themselves to the truth of God's word to such a degree that they don't feel this shame any longer. That is a horrible place to be. You see, it is healthy to hide from God in this perspective because you know that it's wrong to sin, it's wrong to transgress. It is healthy for your children to live in this kind of fear. When they do wrong, they are afraid and they feel the guilt. They feel the conviction for what they have done wrong. That is a sign of being healthy. Now, you don't want them to stay there, but there are two directions that they can go. They can go the culture's way by dulling their consciences and hardening their hearts. And they do that by justifying their actions, blaming their actions, accusing others for the things that are wrong with them. And if you do that so long, what will happen is you will dull your conscience and you'll become, uh, a sin will be imperceptible. You'll desensitize your conscience your co-knowledge, your internal moral thermostat, you will damage it. And so you don't want to go that way. And so living in terror and dread and trembling is a sign that you have a healthy conscience, and it's also a sign that you need to move from there. You can't stay there. And that's why we have this fear of God continuum that I'm describing to you. And so the reason that Adam was afraid, and it's healthy fear, because he had a fresh relationship with God. He had not dulled his conscience to the point to where he didn't care anymore, and he couldn't blush at, at sin any longer. And so we live in terror, and we live in dread, but we begin to learn about God. Somebody comes along, and they teach you about uh, Christ and what Christ has done, and 
you realize that, that God is a holy God. He's a God of justice, and he will punish sin. And that's why you are living in terror, dread, and trembling. But then someone tells you the gospel story that God will not change his justice. He will not change how he views sin. But what he has done, he has taken your sin and placed it on another person. He's placed it on Christ. Christ is the sin bearer. And as you learn about that, you, you start to begin to experience relief. And of course, that comes at salvation initially. Regeneration. You accept the works of Christ. You accept the atonement. The sin has been atoned for. God, God has placed the sin on Christ and has accepted the perfect sacrifice of Christ instead of you paying for your sins. And so you hear the gospel story and you are born a second time. But because you are still Adamic, that you're not perfectly saved from a sanctification perspective, you still can live in terror, dread, and fear, depending on the shaping influences in your life and how deep your Adamic influence, shaping influences are in your life. You can come into your salvation with your former manner of life, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24. And so you need to begin to renew your mind. And this is where many Christians fall down. They get born again. God regenerates them, but they don't work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And they kind of get in a standstill. And so the old man resurfaces again. And the terror and trembling and dread is, is still there. The insecurity and worry and anxiousness. And this is the point of this podcast. You want to get rid of that, but that is a process. Now, as you do, you begin to move down this continuum. Here are some of the words that Ed Welch used in his graphic. Listen to them and notice the subtle changes from a fear, uh, a, a uh, fear of others to a fear of God. It sounds like this. Ed Welch says, we live in terror, dread, trembling, and as we hear about God, it begins to change a little bit. Astonishment awe, reverence, devotion, trust, and worship. And when you get on the far end of worship, you have a healthy fear of God. And so we begin with terror, we end with worship. Here are the words again. We live in terror, dread, trembling, astonishment, awe, reverence, devotion, trust, and worship. How do we get there? As I said earlier, you know that God is a, a God of holy justice, but you learn about the sin bearer in Christ. And as you learn about what Christ did on the cross, you begin to seek and draw near and submit to God. And as you're doing that, he doesn't get rid of his holy justice, but he adds to his holy justice. What does he add to his holy justice? He adds his holy love, as you see exemplified through the cross of Christ. And so a healthy fear of God is a combination of knowing and understanding that God is a just God and he will not wink at our sin or dismiss it, but God is a God of holy love. Therefore, he will take our sin and put it on Christ. He will punish all sin, which is why the Christian places his trust in Christ, the sin bearer. A person who continues to live in fear and guilt and worry and insecurity does not understand the fullness of the gospel 
practically. They're still in Genesis 3, 6 and 7, 3, 7 and 3, 8 and 3, 9 and 3, 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 12. They're still in the early, early stages of the, of the garden where they feel God's holy justice and they haven't learned fully. 3.15 where Christ crushes the head of the serpent, where he takes our sin upon himself. If you want a healthy fear of God... You need to understand that God is just and he punishes all sin, yours and mine, but in this case, especially yours. And then you begin to learn about Christ in a practical way. What does it mean to live in the practicality of the gospel? And you realize that God is not just holy in his justice, but he's holy in his love. Christ did pay for my sin. Can I fully receive this practically and live in the freedom and power of it for freedom. Christ has set us free. If you want to learn more about this, I would encourage you to re-listen to this podcast, share it with a friend, and you all talk about it. Look through my notes here in these show notes, episode 167. Watch the video, study the graphic, and by all means, Go into these other critical resources that I have for you. And then finally, if you have a question for us about this, all you have to do is ask. It is free to you. Jump on our website with your username and password. Make sure you're logged in and ask your question. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.